everybody. I'm Frankie. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jess. And welcome to Propagated Podcast. We are so excited to have our friend of the pod, Jess, here today. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, um, I have a background in horticulture. Um, I've always had a love for plants, even when I was little. Um, my uncle used to quiz me all the time because uh, he works in the field. So anytime I went to his house, it would always be like, what's that? And I would have to answer. That's so fun. Yeah, it's it's really, really fun. Um, for the longest time, I wanted to be a paleontologist, um, but that lasted up until like sophomore year of high school when I realized how much schooling I would have to do for that and I kind of <laughs> wasn't into it <laughs> and I was like oh well uh that was the only career plan I had maybe I should consider looking into a different field um and horticulture popped up um so I did um I participated in FFA which is an agricultural club for kids um that's throughout the entire United States. Um, mm-hmm. And I participated on a floriculture team. So I got to make arrangements and make boutonnieres and corsages and stuff like that. Yeah. I worked in the wedding industry for years and years doing all that. That's that's fun. But it's, it's also a little heartbreaking, like how much floral waste is created by that industry. Oh, yeah. It's astronomical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, knowing how to make those things is a lot of fun. I enjoyed doing it. Um, And we went to nationals for FFA when I was in high school for my floriculture team. So that was a lot of fun. Um, Yeah, that's dope. Yeah. Now plants are, they're still not really like my career, but I work in the field now as opposed to when I uh, graduated from college where I... uh, couldn't get a job in the field, surprisingly, because of the uh, stock market. Plant jobs in this economy? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I enjoy talking about plants. We're so excited to have you. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. So I feel like it's probably better to sandwich you in, Jess, and have either Frankie and it or I start. Yeah, with a shorter good. snippet, and then have you be the beef and then like the meat in the middle, you know, and then <laughs> go on to the end. This is a really nice double decker sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. So today I decided I was going to talk about the cornucopia or the horn of plenty, kind of, I guess, in honor of Thanksgiving since it's that time of year. <laughs> Um, so Thanksgiving (laughs) has my favorite celebration because I love to eat and I love good food. So all about the fact that Thanksgiving is where you can eat an awesomely gross amount of food and nobody even looks twice at you for doing so. But also I think that it's debatably one of the worst holidays reason wise to exist. Um, So just to preface that a little bit, I think that it's weird to me that we celebrate a holiday that literally is like, yeah, we we met the Native Americans and then gave them a bunch of diseases and killed them all. If it wasn't with diseases, it was guns. (laughs) So, um, 
most not some Native Americans do celebrate Thanksgiving, but from what I from the research I did, it seems like most do not and actually view it as a national day of mourning instead of mm. a day of celebration. Some Native American groups, such as the Wampanoag, remember Thanksgiving as a time where Europeans plundered all of their resources and crops. But anyways, like I was saying, I think that myself included and a lot of Native American people have argued that Thanksgiving celebrates the genocide of its people and the holiday kind of belittles their traditions and customs that they don't even really have the right to celebrate anymore. So I'm not a huge Thanksgiving fan. I'm all about rebranding the holiday and still getting to eat a bunch of really awesome food, but maybe it shouldn't be around what it is typically celebrated for. But Daniel, I thought it was about buckle hats and cranberry sauce. I mean, it is. (laughs) If you want to whitewash everything and make it totally okay, it's fine. (laughs) Um, Anyways... That's my little snippet about why I think Thanksgiving is kind of shitty. But today I'm actually going to focus on the Greek myth of the cornucopia and talk about the Horn of Plenty, which is a very standard, typical depiction in almost any American home. When you look at a Thanksgiving display or array, it's often a centerpiece in on the table. But the whole bit of the cornucopia is... Greek mythology. That's where it comes from. That's what we know it as. And the horn itself is actually said to be the horn of Zeus's wet nurse, which was actually a goat, Amalthea. Hmm. Yep. Fun fact. So if you know much about Greek mythology, you'll know that Zeus and his siblings didn't exactly have the most loving father. Cronus had managed to eat all of Zeus's siblings but Rhea was actually able to save him by eating a baby-sized, or a baby Zeus-sized rock, essentially, that she swaddled in baby clothing. Huh. So, uh, since obviously Cronus was not trying to, like, have children, Rhea couldn't sneak off and take care of Zeus either. So she was able to save his life, but wasn't able to take care of him. So essentially, one of Rhea's nymphs, gifted her Amalthea, which was a goat, like a divine goat, though. And this goat essentially kept Zeus alive. So very, the Greeks, the old Greek stories, especially the older ones are very odd. (laughs) Um, But when Amalthea died, which is part, like some of the myths say Amalthea dies. Some of the myths say that Zeus sacrificed Amalthea. Um, Zeus used her hide to create the protective Aegis, which is a magical goat skin worn as Athena, worn by Athena as armor. And then he placed Amalthea in the sky as the star capella, which is Latin for little goat. But then the horn was kept and became the cornucopia. And it was an overflowing horn of plenty. So that's like the basic startup of it all. And unfortunately, in what research I could, I did and what I could find, it doesn't seem like there's a really clear definition or like clear point at which the Horn of Plenty like stopped being the Horn of Amalthea and in that, in, in that world and kind of became 
just like this, what we see today, this wicker basket that's just an abundance of the harvest, you know? Essentially, regardless, regardless of whether we have like a clear definition of whether, when, or how it decided that it was going to be an American decoration, essentially, it definitely is today. Like, the, regardless, that's definitely a thing. And mm -hmm. so I think a part of that lies in the fact that Thanksgiving has kind of always been an ode to, like, harvest time, you know? And that's always been a very fall time thing. So it's naturally, it's natural that the holiday would feature the cornucopia and kind of take that embodiment of abundance and use it in a celebration that's supposed to be a thankful time for abundance and for the harvest. Beyond that, it's pretty, like I said before, it's pretty unknown when or why American people just kind of scooped up this traditionally very pagan example of abundance and almost Dionysian style, like, a lot, which is not a very Christian thing. And then it kind of became this monocle of, like, the Christian Thanksgiving and abundance on your table. Not that the Christians haven't stole almost any of their fun things from pagans, but <laughs> anyways. Um, but essentially what we're like, some people thought that it came from like the European harvest festivals, but there's like nothing to say that that actually happened either. So we really have, it's kind of odd how we have no idea what prompted Americans to take up the cornucopia as the symbol, but it's here. And today have... it's kind of. Oh, oh go I ahead. was gonna. I was gonna throw in my two cents. It's. I, I wonder if it's likely that it was just something that the English did from interacting with like Scottish and Irish pagans, and that's mm. something of, like history that is lost. And our closest example now goes back to like Greece and the like Horn of Plenty from those myths because we don't have a link, between the two. So I just wonder if it was a colonizer like type of thing. It's like, oh, we'll take what we like and just burn the things that we don't like. Because <laughs> that's... <laughs> I mean, yeah. I would not Happy be surprised. <laughs> I would not be surprised at all. But anyways, that's almost practically what I had to talk about was just I wanted to get the Greek story out of the way and let you guys have a little brief summation of why we see the cornucopia today. And then when I started doing research, I realized that there isn't really a whole lot to tell you about why we see it today, at least not anything written and, like, defined about it. Um, but like I said, today it's practically just a Thanksgiving decoration that nobody really gives any attention to. It's just, like, one of those that's supposed to be there kind of situations. Yeah. Have you ever had one? No. My family I've didn't either. do that. I've never had one either. Huh. I've only it's amazing how it's like such a visual, like like you can see it in your mind's eye, but I don't think I've ever seen one in real life. <laughs> I've only ever seen them in paintings. Yeah. Oh yeah, in paintings for sure. Or like Where? if somebody's putting on like a theme at like Halloween. Like where they just like it's something that they've done on their like buffet sort of table. And that's yeah. where all, like, the fruits and vegetables are on the table. But I've yeah. never seen it at anybody whom I've celebrated Thanksgiving with, like, on their tables. Because the table is just crammed with food. 
there's like no place to even put one, even if you want to put it. For, for decor, yeah. Same, same. I feel that. <laughs> All right, that's pretty much the cornucopia. I thought it would last a little longer than that, but it didn't. So. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Brief <laughs> intro. <laughs> Hey, let's get a P.O. box so people can send us cornucopias. (laughs) (laughs) I'm about it. I am about it. Uh, Yeah, so I guess that's a good segue into what I'm going to talk about today. And I'm going to talk about cranberries. Cranberries? So cranberries are interesting um they belong to the ericaceae family um which is also the same family that um heather the plant heather belongs to um nice as well as being in the same genus as blueberries they're related cranberries and blueberries are related yes this is everything i needed to know Quality content of Frankie crying over <laughs> over sibling berries. Over blue babies and crab babies. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, yeah, so unlike blueberries, cranberries are known for being very acidic and, like, sort of sour in their taste. Um, so let's see. Uh, so the... Family name or like the whole name for cranberries is it's kind of weird because they have been given a subgenus, but it's not really clear to me if the subgenus is specifically for cranberries that are found in like Britain or other places. Um, so we have Vaccinium um, Macrocarpin, which is the cranberry that we grow in the United States um, for cranberry production, but then there's also Vaccinium oxycoccus. And uh, it's a subgenus, and I'm not really entirely sure why. Like I said, it exists. So there's, like, three of them in this subgenus. So there's Vaccinium oxycoccus, or it's also known as oxycoccus palustris. Um, And it's, like, found throughout the cool northern, um, like, temperate hemisphere. That's where they grow um, and can be found in northern Europe, northern Asia, and northern North America. Um, and then you have Vaccinium microcarpum. So uh, it refers to like the size of the fruit. So microcarpum just means small fruit. And then macrocarpum means big fruit. Um, so micro, um, Vaccinium microcarpum is found um, in northern North America, northern Europe, and northern Asia. Um, and the only difference between it at this point in time, between the... Um, Vaccinium oxycoccus is the leaf shape and a smaller number of flowers. And then the Vaccinium macrocarpin is like the large cranberry um, native to North America across Canada and the eastern United States. And it goes as south um, as North Carolina, um, only in the higher altitudes. That's us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
let's see. And a little bit of the etymology behind the name. So the common name cranberry um, is said to be uh, derived from German Kranberg, uh, which is Ooh. which translates to crane berry. Um, just because of the shape of the flowers, they look like little crane necks and heads. Um, Wild. I feel like you don't hear a lot of like Germanic name. Like, I feel like it's almost always Latin. I don't know why that was so hard for me yeah. to spit out. It's it's not <laughs> as common to hear a Germanic root common to a name. name. Origin, yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, in my notes that I have. So it was first like named cranberry without the E in it um, in English by the missionary John Eliot around uh, 1647. And then around 1694, German and Dutch colonists in New England used the word cranberry to represent the, like I said, the expanding flower stem and calyx and petals resembling the neck, head, and bill of a crane. Um, Interesting. The traditional name... The traditional English common name in that's more common in Europe, so this is the version that they use, is fenberry, since it grows in fens or marshlands of England. So, Oh my gosh. Okay, so I have never seen a cranberry flower before, I realized until I just Googled it. <laughs> it totally does look like a crane. It's so pretty. Yeah, they're, they don't grow very big at all. Um, the plant doesn't so it's like a low-growing marshy type plant they're evergreen um which is a little bit different than blueberries because blueberries tend to be deciduous um so they lose their leaves in the fall um cranberries don't they keep them all year and yeah so they're sort of like low creeping shrubs so they can get to about seven feet long and they only come up about two to eight inches in height um oh that's not yeah. what I expected at all. <laughs> I don't know why. That's... <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> um, so some cool things about cranberries as an industry. Um, it's actually kind of wild, like how much, how much money it makes and how much it produces. Um, so, um, cranberries are basically grown in man-made bogs and what they end up doing is so they have these bogs that they can drain and flood um, and when they flood them it's how they actually are able to harvest cranberries um so when you see the ocean spray uh like commercials that's actually like real life people standing in a real life bog making that commercial oh my God. And cranberries float, so people don't have to stoop to pick them up. So when they flood the bog, all the fruit float up to the surface, and then they use, like, rakes and stuff to put them in, like, floating tubs to harvest them. Neat. Um, so in the United States, um, we only really have five states that produce cranberries, um, the leader of the five states is Wisconsin, um, followed by, I've lost it. One moment, please. Wisconsin, <laughs> known for cheese and cranberries. What an interesting combo. 
Yeah, so Wisconsin is the leading producer of cranberries, and they produce 62% of the U.S. crop in 2017 for cranberries. Um, other leading states include the state which I currently live in, Massachusetts, um, New Jersey, Oregon, and Washington. So, <laughs> fun fact for the amount of cranberries that Americans consume <laughs> in a year, uh, it's 400 million pounds of cranberries. What? <laughs> 400 million pounds of cranberries per year. And Who we knew? eat, so Americans, we eat 20% of that. So that's 80 million pounds of cranberries just during Thanksgiving week. Wow. I wonder how much of that ends up in a trash can. Oh, compost. If we're being, Please if we're being realistic, <laughs> if we're being realistic, because like everybody wants to have cranberry jelly on the table, but how many people actually finish a whole can of cranberry jelly off yeah, the table? I true. could do that easily. Yeah, I love cranberry. I love cranberry so much. <laughs> I like sour things though, like anything. So I, I realized anything sour, bitter, or anything that tastes like grass, I enjoy a lot. It's a very <laughs> interesting knowledge that you have Flavor there of profile. yourself. Um. Um, I tried celery soda for the first time this week, and it was actually really delicious. I feel like I would like that. I love celery. I like watery, mm -hmm. watery fruits and vegetables. Yeah. You like your water to have a crunch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> essentially, essentially, that's exactly Watermelon, it. celery. <laughs> are you just, I don't want to steal your thunder, but are you going to talk about bog spiders? Oh, no, I didn't even bring up. I don't like spiders in general, so I didn't even like. <laughs> oh, my God, it's kind of terrifying. Up. Yeah, so that's what, yeah, so that's a, uh, you could expound on it if you want to, but. Yeah, so when people go into cranberry bogs for harvesting, they have, like, huge chest-high waders. But when you flood the bog, that's, like, a whole bunch of insects and things <laughs> that suddenly don't have a home anymore. Oh. One of which is spiders. And spiders oh. will literally crawl up people's waders and into their... <laughs> oh, into their babies. wader suits to get yeah. away from the water. I was oh, reading about so it, sad. and apparently you have to, like, like when you go in, the first question you have in an interview to work on one of the bogs is, like, are you okay with spiders? Because it's just an obnoxious amount of spiders. Because, they, like, like she said, they're all, un, like, they've all no longer got a home. And a lot of cranberry farmers actually release wolf spiders into their cranberry fields because it's really... They're like very effective hunters and they kill all the other predatory or they kill all the other insects Ugh. that like feed on the cranberries. So like it's not like <laughs> these spiders are dying. The bogs get flooded and then unflooded pretty regularly, right? It's not like they're yeah, flooded for a whole season. Yeah, it's not it's not that they flood it for the whole season. They only oh, okay. I believe like flood it during harvesting. Um Oh, God. Just because Wolf it spiders, makes things, though. yeah. So like, <laughs> that's that's my I, thing. I know from experience that they're so fast and furry, and they just like yeah. Run that's so the thing fast. that like gets me about most spiders <laughs> is that like the bigger and hairier it is, the less I want to deal with it. And wolf spiders, <laughs> I've seen some as like big as like quarters, and I'm just like, nope, 
<laughs> Take no. me out. No I actually had never seen a wolf spider before I moved to North Carolina. And the first time I saw it, I was like, what? Someone was like, yeah, sometimes they scream if you kill them. And I was like, no, no, I'm out. Bye. <laughs> Some of the wolf spiders here get pretty, definitely yeah, larger than a quarter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Anyways, let's not talk about spiders. Yeah, <laughs> Uh, so with regards to the production of cranberries, there are also two other countries who produce cranberries, um, commercially, and that would be Canada. Um, and I was, like, surprised to find, like, I assumed that Canada would also participate in cranberry cultivation, but I didn't realize that Chile also does, Hmm. which is... (laughs) Uh, that caught me off guard a little bit, but that's interesting. Um, uh, is it so, because they have such high altitude. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was like, that doesn't make any sense at all to me. And then I was like, oh yeah, they have mountains, duh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, so only about 5% of cranberries that are produced in the United States are sold fresh. Um, the remaining 95% are processed in some way, either 5%. most, yeah, um, most commonly either for juice or juice blends. Um, huh. and most cranberry growers end up selling their, um, sell their production on contracts. So there's a, like a handful of companies that will purchase cranberries directly from the growers. Um, so for instance, I brought up Ocean Spray. Um, Ocean Spray is a Massachusetts-based company, um, and they account for about 80% of, um, 80% of the raw cranberry purchases, and then other handlers include, that, like, also make up the rest, um, would be Northern Cranberries, uh, which is in Wisconsin, we have Decca's Cranberries products in Massachusetts, Clement, uh, Papas and Company in New Jersey, and then Cliff Star Corporation in New York. Huh. Um, so it's <laughs> the cranberry production is wild, um, but I would be remiss um, if I also didn't talk about, um, as we've already mentioned, uh, Thanksgiving's kind of really a shitty holiday. Um, and I want to take the time to recognize that the Algonquin Nation, um, and a little bit more specifically the Narragansett um, Nation or um, people would use um, dried fruits um, in something that's called uh, pemmican, which is basically a mixture of like tallow, dried meat, and dried berries, and they would use that as a food staple. Um, so they would like commonly use things like bison or deer for the dried meat portion or use fish um, for that. And then they would also include like dried, like I said, dried cranberries or Saskatoon berries, um, sometimes blueberries and cherries, choke cherries um, and currants are also used in this. So I thought that was interesting and I kind of wanted to bring that up. So... Um, cranberries also are really um, high in vitamin C, um, manganese, and fiber, and they're also rich in phytonutrients, so that's like naturally derived plant compounds. Um, particularly, uh, 
I'm probably going to butcher this. Um, proanthocyanidin? Proanthocyanidin? <laughs> um, antioxidants, which are just good for your overall wellness. So the cranberry is pretty cool. And honestly, I personally think the most underrated like side dish at a Thanksgiving table. I, I really only want stuffing. I only ever want <laughs> stuffing. That's all I want. That's all I really care about. It's like the <laughs> only day. You don't like cranberries? I'm not a big cranberry fan. <gasps> My main consumption of cranberry comes from vodka cranberries if I already have heartburn <laughs> and I can't drink something else. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. Um, but yeah, oh. I, I. Cranberries are so good. Highly mm-hmm. underrated fruit. Yeah, I really like cranberry juice. I like dried too. cranberries a lot, actually. Mm. I do like that. I like, like those. craisins. Craisins, mm-hmm. yeah. Into that. Was that cranberries? Yeah, that's the it. That's the end that I have, Sweet. unless you have any other questions. I think I covered all the things I wanted to cover. I have a question. Do, yes. Does cranberry juice actually help with UTIs? <laughs> um, so... <laughs> uh, they say it does because it's a diet, like a diuretic. But um, I definitely still recommend that you get treated by a medical go, professional go instead of just trying to <laughs> rely on cranberry juice. Good I'm answer. not a doctor, so I recommend you do that instead of just <laughs> chugging a whole bunch of cranberry juice. <laughs> cool. Well, I. I'm going to stop clicking so I can talk. <laughs> I am going to talk about corn, a.k.a. maize. <laughs> Figured we'd stay on trend with the Thanksgiving trend. Um, so corn is a member of my favorite family, Poaceae, which is the grass family. And I absolutely love grass. I cut it all the time and dry it and save it. And I have all kinds of different kinds of grass. And I also just really like that name. And if I ever had a cat, I would name it Poa. That's cute. That's super cute. (laughs) Um, Corn was first domesticated by native peoples 10,000 years ago in central South Mexico. 10,000 years ago? 10,000 years ago. That's pretty fucking wild, honestly. It is... Domesticated from a small triangular grain called teosinte, which originally was classified as a closer relative to rice because it really looks nothing like corn and it's got this like really hard shell and it's totally inedible to humans. But maize, which is also corn, same thing, maize and teosinte have a five gene difference. So pretty closely related. Um, basically what happened was Teosinte, after thousands of years of being domesticated, it had a genetic mutation, which caused the kernels to grow without the shell. And then that was bred and that was more domesticated into corn. And it's just this thousands of years of domestication and breeding and choosing which ones they want to, you know, continue and keep growing. And it's this huge, long, convoluted process with the final stages of domestication occurring not in one place, but in kind of 
all over these different places when they look back at the genes and where it came from. So it's kind of cool. It's just this really complicated process. It wasn't just like teosinte, weird in between, corn. It was like just this really crazy process. So kind of like a worldwide effort to get the different kinds of corn we have. Is that right? Does that sound right? Well, not worldwide. Mostly... Um, but it's mostly in Mexico at this point. Okay. So domestication began with this single large gene pool in Mexico, but then the grain was carried elsewhere before the domestication process was completed. So it was like kind of spread a little bit into the Americas while it was still being domesticated. Okay. Um, Teosinte still to this day grows wild in Mexico. It's considered a weed because it's a huge nuisance to maize farmers. Basically, the hard shells shatter and then fall to the ground, and they're, like, really impossible to collect. So they're hard to get rid of. It sounds really frustrating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so why is it called corn? Basically, he who shall not be named, CC, the original colonizer. <laughs> um, Gross the... motherfucker. <laughs> The colonized, the um, English and Spanish came to the Americas and they saw it and they didn't really have a name for it. So they just called it corn with an E on the end, corn, which means grain. <laughs> so it just became corn. That's a really, that's like not as fun a story as I was expecting, if I'm being honest. Yeah, not, not fun etymology. It's just grain. <laughs> Hello, we'll call this grain. <laughs> and then, of course, they took it back and it spread all over Europe. Um, these native heirloom strains that are, you know, directly traceable back to Teosinte and beautiful, we all love heirlooms, we're all heirloom lovers here. Basically, these strains are disappearing and people are encouraging people to keep old cultivars, cultivars alive by growing the heirloom seeds, saving the seeds and sharing your seeds locally to help keep these Sweet babies alive. <laughs> I remember being surprised when I would be on the farm with my grandpa and he would grow some like weird corn varietals that I didn't even know existed, like rainbow corn at school. Yeah. Didn't know that. Corn. Like, it's just wild because you're really the only corn you typically eat. Not that most of these corn varietals aren't edible, but what you get at the store yeah. typically is yellow or white corn, corn sweet yeah. corns. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and a lot of the times what happens with these beautiful corn varieties is that a breeder will come along and be like, oh, I can make this better. And then they just like breed out really cool traits. And so heirloom seeds are awesome. Um, so that's really all I had on that. But I do have some fun corn facts for y'all. Yes. <laughs> um, a corn crop matures somewhere in the world nearly every single month of the year. That's wild. That is pretty crazy. <laughs> Every continent except Antarctica has grown, has grown growing on. <laughs> Every continent except Antarctica has corn growing on it. Popcorn. Popcorn's so interesting to me. I used to work at a popcorn factory and like I ate so much popcorn that I'm surprised I can still eat it to this day, but it's one of my favorites. So I love know. popcorn. I love popcorn. <laughs> um... So popcorn is, they basically have these small hard kernels. So when they're heated, 
the moisture in the cells expands so rapidly that the kernel just explodes. So it's the moisture that causes them to explode. Mm -hmm. That's cool. I didn't know that. Well, it's kind of like the same concept with like if you take your or like potatoes and you don't like poke holes in them, they'll explode in your <laughs> oven. Fair. <laughs> or that sounds microwave. like you know from experience. I was about to say, is this something that you've done yourself? <laughs> you forget to do it one time. <laughs> and one no. time only. <laughs> oh, I love that. But it's the same oh concept. Water expands. <laughs> <laughs> the potato does not. <laughs> I feel like that's a good shirt. Water expands, but the potato does not. <laughs> uh, okay. So we were talking a little bit ago about sweet corn. but So that's what you eat at the grocery store, that like beautiful, lush, orange, or not orange, yellow, fluffy corn is sweet corn. And that's only 1% of corn planted in the United States. Really? Mm-hmm, 1%. Most of the rest of it is feed corn, or it's corn that goes to cornstarch, corn syrup, corn cereal, corn everything, because everything we eat is corn. <laughs> Fair. I do love cornflakes, though. My Midwestern might come out in this fact. Um, <laughs> one bushel of sweet corn, which is basically like the same as a 52-pound dog food bag, is how they describe it. <laughs> but one bushel of sweet corn can sweeten 400 cans of pop. 400 First, cans of soda? 400 <laughs> cans. I was, I, I want, I don't understand, yeah, I'm baffled by the pop thing. That's never made sense to me, but. What, you mean I, saying pop over yeah, soda? Yeah. It's a Midwestern thing, it's fine. I, at least I'm not one of the Southerners <laughs> that calls everything Coke. Yeah. <laughs> I could be like that. It's all just Coke. But yes. Okay, but focus on the fact. 400 <laughs> cans of pop. <laughs> From 400, wait, one bushel. From 52 pounds. Well, I guess it would be different. It's, is it the equivalent of 52 pounds, or is it the equivalent, like, area of a 52 pound? Like, what? I don't, under, I I don't know. By weight. By um, weight. Let's, let's Google bushel of corn. Because I've always wondered what a bushel is. Corn was assigned a bushel weight of 56 pounds. Okay. Yeah, it's just by pounds. So 56 pounds. Because I know what a bushel basket looks like. Because we used to go pick beans and everything in bushel baskets. But That's nice. Anyways, there is one silk for every kernel. So a ear of corn typically has anywhere between 500 to 1,200 kernels. But usually around 800 kernels. And there's a silk for each one of those? And there's a silk for each one. Yeah. I hate cleaning corn because of the oh, silk. Oh, I love shucking corn. It's so satisfying. It. I don't know why I said cleaning instead of shucking. Fuck, I'm from the South and did it my whole childhood. And I still <laughs> said cleaning instead of shucking. <laughs> yeah, cleaning well, the silk on the corn is like the worst. It's so it, time yeah. consuming. Unless you have like a, like a toothbrush dedicated to getting in between each of the kernels. I mean, there's definitely a trick to it. Yeah, I used to call it Barbie hair when I was a kid. That's and cute. Artichokes too. Artichokes have Barbie hair on the inside. <laughs> God, who clean? Who? Who? I don't understand who would do that with artichokes. I just buy it in the can. I'm lazy you like don't that. Eat, you don't eat 
raw artichokes? So I mean, not much raw, work. Like steamed. Oh, but that's okay. I'm the kind of person that loves food that's a lot of work because then I end up eating more because I'm like sitting and focused for longer. Like pomegranates, ooh, yes. Artichokes, yes. See, I'll, I'll make that exception for a pomegranate for sure. I love pomegranate. But artichokes, not mm. so much. Too much work. I'll buy the can. Thanks, though. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. But then you don't get any of the leaves, and the leaves are yummy, too. They are yummy. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. <laughs> Still probably not going to do it, though. (laughs) (sighs) But yeah, that's all I had on corn slash maize. Um, Happy Harvest Festival, everybody. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us, Jess. We were so excited to have you. We'll have to have you back at some point. Um, Is there anywhere people can find you on the internet? Oh, yeah. So people can find me on Twitter at healthpackstream. Um... I talk about a lot of stuff on there. Um, it's normally tabletop stuff, but um, I have on occasion gone on plant rants. <laughs> so <laughs> that's actually uh, <laughs> when I was like, I have to have them on the podcast. Was your banana rant? <laughs> my banana rant. And the infamous my banana Bradford rant. Bradford pear rant. Yeah, <laughs> those are the two that have been like the most iconic to date. Have been the both of those, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, if you have like plant questions, feel free to hit me up at any point in time. Awesome. You can find us on Twitter also at Propagated Pod. And Instagram at Propagated Podcast. And Gmail. At Propagated Podcast at gmail.com. I always put that in front. I do it every fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> Email us about cranberries. Email us about corn. Email us about the cornucopia that you have on your table this year at propagatedpodcast at gmail.com. There we go. Thank you so much for joining us, y'all. We'll catch you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.